Radio Maria England presents Padre's Hour, presented by Father Sam Randall. Welcome to Padre's Hour. I'm uh, Dr. Father Sam Randall, uh, Priest Director of Radio Maria England. And on Padre's Hour, we explore issues of faith and belief and social justice with experts, enthusiasts, or just the curious and interesting. And I've got a wonderful guest with me today, uh, Julie Thompson. Uh, Julie and I have known each other for many years, uh, nearly 20, possibly, Julie. I wouldn't like to say. I might give my age away there. <laughs> well, a long time. It feels like ages. Anyway, so Julie's with us because Julie is the as the director of uh, a very exciting project um, called In Churches. Um, is that how you describe yourself, Julie? Are you the director? I just I always say that I work for In Churches, but yeah, I'm, I think my official title is now CEO. But titles mean nothing unless you're uh, walking the walk. No, uh, you've definitely walked the walk. I think um, <laughs> you're more than just a CEO. You carry this this project. So welcome to everyone to this party. We're going to explore, obviously, what's been going on, with, not only with Julie's life, but her work with the homeless and the most vulnerable people that she works with in a city that's uh, had a lot of problems in the past in England. Um, it, it reaches all the criteria for poverty and uh, social justice issues uh, in every sort of way, uh, communities that have had all sorts of uh, tragedies and uh, difficulties in the past. You may remember the, the um, fire at the football ground, but also there have been other things, of course, so associated with dear Bradford, which is a wonderful city. Bradford itself uh, grew phenomenally from the 1830s upwards because of the mills. And it's really a, a city shaped by mills, shaped by coal and the mills and the rivers there in Bradford. And um, that's much and shaped it and uh, that has also shaped its demographics because of communities coming to work there from all sorts of countries it's got an interesting ukrainian community it's got an interesting italian community and others who've come to work in the past of the mills but of course that the mills collapsed um the most recent community to that was the uh, communities from the mirpur and uh, and they've enriched um, that city and and the country in many many different ways. And uh, so, welcome, Julie. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be with you. It's a great pleasure to have you. Now, Bradford's geography is like a bowl, isn't it, Julie? You sort of um, you sort of fall down to the middle, don't you, where where the uh, city hall is. It is. It's, it has got, especially by the cathedral, it's got a sort of sharp incline into the into the bottom of town. Yeah, it's like a sort of bucket. And um, I think that's a great sort of illustration of some of the issues because the flotsam and jetsam of human uh, lives and brokenness can end up, can't they, very much in the, in the centre of Bradford in one way or another. I was working in Bradford many, many years ago as um, uh, the bishop's officer uh, doing social justice advocacy projects. And um, uh, Bradford was one of the cities where which attracts because it's uh, its social provision and its care. And it's got a great history, Bradford. And people uh, gravitate to the city who've, um, who are struggling with life. Wouldn't you say that's true, Julie? Yes, definitely so. We, we have a, a very diverse and interesting mix of people at uh, Make their home in Bradford. Yeah, it is. It is an exciting place. It's a great uh, tapestry. Julie, you've been working as the CEO for In Churches for many years, haven't you? I have indeed. So we get, before <laughs> before we explore that, I wonder if you could tell something about your background, um, something about your faith background as well. Um. So, uh, yeah, my my um, maternal grandmother was um, a very very, very devout Catholic. So I had very early beginnings of um, Holy Family Church in, in um, Armley. She never missed a Sunday. She was uh, a wonderful woman of God. Um, my, own back, um, my own background is, is Anglican. So on my father's side, uh, we grew up in the Church of England. Very much high church, I, I later learned. Um, didn't know at the time, but, you know, it was... Uh, very much the smells and bells and the the traditional service, so I always had a a really good strong uh, faith right from the get go as long as I can remember. 
Um, my parents sadly divorced when I was 14, around that time. And I think one of the great uh, sadnesses for me was I wasn't going to church for a little while. So I, I kind of became a cuckoo. I'd go to church with anybody that would take me. Um, and, and it kind of gave me a, an interesting perspective on, on what was going around. I, was, I grew up around uh, Leeds and, and Bradford. So I had a, the pleasure of going to many different services. Um, I think it wasn't till I think 2000 when I came across the Evangelical Church, um, which was a, quite a mystery to me. <laughs> All these church plants and uh, you know, sort of very informal and very um, almost like going to uh, going to a concert for me, really. Um, so that was kind of how I ended up in Bradford in 2003. So I've been a, sort of working there 17, 18 years now. Right. Um, what drew you into into work in Bradford? What was the what was the job you were doing? Um, I think it was just the fact that I ended up going to church there. Um, you'd asked about my background uh, earlier, and my uh, working background. I'd always wanted to, right from being about four or five, if anybody asked me what I wanted to do, I wanted to be a caterer. I was convinced that that's, you know, that was my calling to work with food. So I went into uh, chefing early on. Um, that led me to have a restaurant in Leeds with my mum. And at the time, there was a young man that was homeless. And one day he came in and said, it's great that you send food down for us, but it'd be even better if you could offer me a job. Um, so I, I did and he would bring his, um, bring himself to work, get, get a wash in the bathroom. I'd take his whites home and he became the best commie chef I ever had. <laughs> so that kind of, um, holistic approach to homelessness, um, sort of never left me that, you know, it's not just about feeding people or giving them a bed for the night. It was more l looking at them with, uh, purpose and giving them dignity that that never left me so I was I went in I went into teaching so I was teaching in Bradford and Kate, then, were you teaching catering oh, uh, I was teaching health and social care and, and food food right. technology uh, yeah okay um so I was, I'd gone part-time because I, I just felt that God was calling me to do something different and this um this gentleman called Sam Randall <laughs> who is bishop's office of a church in the world um, I got invited to an interview for, it was going to, to help set up a winter shelter. So there's always a, already a, quite a bit of interest in um, setting up a shelter. They, the feeding projects were reporting that they, they were saddened that um, people were sleeping rough when they'd been feeding them. And at the time, Bradford Council had two official rough sleepers. Um, so I was part of uh, taking on sorry well I was I was interviewed I think about 14 Sam you might remember but I think about 14 other people were interviewed um and halfway through I just really felt the Holy Spirit convict me that I wanted the role um mm. it just came out it came out of nowhere I just suddenly felt this warm um just felt like a warm flow and I thought, oh my gosh, I really, I really need to get this job. And I thought I'd blown it because, um, uh, yeah, I didn't, I sort of didn't plan to succeed. I'd just gone and thought, oh yeah, that might be interesting. <laughs> so it was quite a shock. Um, and yeah, luckily I got the job um, on a three-month contract. And yeah, we started in 2010, February 2010, with a pilot project, and that first month we saw 47 rough sleepers come through the project so it kind of grew from there i'll explain to the listeners um the council had a policy of uh, estimating the number of rough seeker uh, sleepers by going out one night and looking at particular areas it was almost the policy guaranteed not to spot rough sleepers you know so they could report oh we only saw two on that night in october or something it was a silly policy and people had died hadn't they, Julie, on the streets in Bradford? 
Yeah, sadly, um, in the preceding months, about five people had died. Yeah. And it was kind of that, that backdrop that we entered into. Yeah, that, um, was, that was the catalyst for, for doing something, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah, it was, it was tragic. So we, uh, the project uh, in churches, not terribly imaginative, but I thought of no room at the inn. <laughs> so <laughs> so we called it In Churches. And on a shoestring, we, we got this uh, project going. Um, yeah, so, but it's developed since. So um, do you know roughly how many uh, rough sleepers have gone through the doors altogether of In Churches since then? Uh, in the past 11 years, we've probably had over a 1,000 people through the doors. Yeah. So, um, and it's not just giving people a, a bed for the night and, and a meal. What happens when, how do people find you? What's the system, Julie? So initially, it, it, we were very much just a bed for the night. Um, but it became quite apparent that um, first pilot that we did back in February 2010 um, we were all saying, oh, my goodness, didn't we do well? we got seven churches involved. We saw 47 rough sleepers. Um, we'll, let's do it again next year. And the, the thing was, I couldn't walk away from it. Once you've seen the whites of people's eyes, you, mm. at the time, there were not many other services in, in Bradford that were doing what we do. So um, I kind of started an ad hoc <laughs> um, an ad hoc service, trying to look at getting the, the people that we were working with into accommodation throughout the year. Then we went to um, 14 weeks uh, the following year, winter 2010. Um, and one of the churches had said, right, we can't do the 14 weeks, but we will do a week. We, so all the other churches stood down and St. John's at Great Horton did a week. And I, I was kind of going from moving the beds every night from church to church because we took this this rolling shelter model from uh, London and um, it was a night at a different church. So it was quite challenging for me and the others that were working on that project. But also it, it was quite chaotic for the guests to remember to go to a different place each night. So. St. John's um, doing a week, it was so good. It was it was just very smooth. People knew where they were for a week. And the church kind of owned the project. Mm. Um, so the next year, and I remember, um, so Shauna used to be our PA, and um, Shauna and I were at Shauna's house. And I said, right, okay, next year, shall we just ask for a week at each church? You know, and Sean, I said, oh, Julie, let's ask everybody. And I, and I said, let's not, because we, we've got over 100 volunteers and we might get 100 different responses. I said, let's just tell people <laughs> we're going to do a week at each church. And I remember saying, oh, Julie. And she was um, from Ohio. So that was an American accent there, if you didn't catch that. Um, so <laughs> I sent the, um, I pressed send on the email. And the response we got was quite amazing. So from that time, 2011-12, um, we actually did a week at each church. Mm. And f from us centrally, not having to work out rotors on a night by night, we then moved to um, having each church do the rotor. And each church had a, a, a person there that, that took control and coordinated it. So it was, yeah, it was really... It was quite uh, quite interesting. Don't you think um, people are are waiting to be asked, Julie? I mean, there's such goodwill, such love, and people see these. You could you could step over a rough sleep, or you go around them, and uh, you you want to do something. But don't you think people just don't know how? And in churches, and you empowered people. I think very much so. Um, we had when we started the after the first year, uh, sort of into 2011. We just had over 100 volunteers, and now we, we've got over 1,000 volunteers. Yeah, and, um, and it's important to say they come from all the churches, don't they? So it's Quaker, Salvation Army, Catholic, of course, uh, Church of England, Baptist, and Methodist, and Pentecostal. It's a wonderful ecumenical move, isn't it, Julie? It was. I mean, I don't think you could have planned it any better because what happened the first year was like, oh, I can't, I can't go there. They're, 
They're Quakers, and oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They do funny things at that church. Um, so it was. Um, we needed sort of a team of floating support. Mm. I won't. I won't call them floaters because that sounds like something you find in your coffee. But um, in fact, it was the the Catholic church from Halifax that used to come over. Uh, we used to call them the um, Halifax Trio, but there were six of them. <laughs> but any <laughs> any any Wednesday night, three of them would come over, and and whatever church they would they would go to every church. So gradually, the movement was like, oh well. That's, yeah, I'll, I'll go to that church then. And it just—it was just a wonderful, um, wonderful seeds were sown because people just crossed the thresholds of other churches and some of them had never been in another church in their lives. So it, it was just fantastic um, to see. Sometimes I'd go to a church and I'd say, oh, I thought you were at St. John's. Ah, yes, but we met through in churches. Oh, I thought you were doing the, the food project at... Um, St. Clement's, ah, yes, but we met through in churches. So, so it was this wonderful um, sort of ecumenical project developed. And I know that was your heart anyway, but it happened organically. It did, it spontaneously. Yeah, I loved coming in in the evenings and eating a meal and you didn't know who you were sitting next to or where they were from. And that was just lovely. I mean, it was lovely being with these guests as well, of course. That's why we were there. But uh, it was really special um, sharing uh, with others in this work of the Lord. I think a lot of um, homeless charities that have roots in Christian um, origin, they, they tend to sort of go from Matthew or Isaiah as their sort of key scripture but what i loved about ours i i think we 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 were more rooted in hebrews um <laughs> don't forget to show hospitality yeah. to strangers yeah um for in doing so sh- shall i repeat that <laughs> yeah no it's a, that's, that's great that's really good yeah don't forget to show hospitality to strangers for in doing so some have, have shown hospitality to angels mm. and i think that was really apparent because People sort of clump together the homeless. You know, there's a lot of projects that, that deal with the homeless. But there's no just one story. Everybody has, you know, the 1,000 people that have come through the doors of the churches, every person has a different story. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time, my son was, was going away and serving in the army. And um, I always thought, well, what would I want for him if he was in a strange country or... You know, he found himself uh, without a bed for the night. And what what I love about the in churches and the shelter model is that if if we were a stick of rock, you would have hospitality running through the middle of it. Because each church, although we all did the same thing, we put the beds up and we made them something to eat. Um, each church coloured that indifferently. Yeah. So very often when you popped in. Um, like you say, that one of the wonderful things is you'd look round and you wouldn't realise who were the guests and who were the volunteers because everybody sat down to eat together. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was challenging for some, especially some of those groups that, that actually served the homeless um, through the feeding projects because they weren't used to sitting down. They were used to having those barriers. But I think that was when it was transformational for the guests was when... Um, the volunteers sat down and they were showing hospitality to the stranger and they did find out that they were delighting in angels so you know over the years we've had some some glorious stories of of you know transformation mm-hmm. um i think one sort of that especially sticks to mind was um a young man called liam who um I'm still in touch with now, uh, several years later, and he was at St. Paul's at Manningham with us. And he couldn't, I was not, I didn't often stay overnight unless I was really needed because I had to work the next day as well. So I would, um, I would be sort of the last resort to, to stay over. But this particular night I'd stayed over and Liam couldn't sleep. So we were sitting in the kitchen at St. Paul's, um, and we were laughing at the fact that uh, the church warden had, we counted 54 notices not to touch things or not, you know, to leave things as they were, which was quite amusing. <laughs> um, 
but I just I thought this young man is so articulate he's so passionate about um justice uh, at the time he'd been living in a crack den um he'd also and this isn't confidential this is all of the papers and he talks about it himself but he'd he'd worked at a bingo hall in Keithley and stolen £23,000 um, gone on a jaunt to Amsterdam <laughs> and blown all the money oh no um, hand, tried to hand himself into the, the Dutch police who said no this isn't this isn't our problem so he came back to England and handed himself in and served his time um, but coming out of prison found himself homeless and um, yeah a, a drug addict Um but what's remarkable, last year, uh, Liam finished his final year of university to become a lawyer. And, you know, just it was just the, the seeds of things that happened to him. You know, he we actually um, managed to get him a place in a, a Christian community uh, who really looked after him, developed him and, you know, supported him. Um one of the gentlemen that ran the community was um, a builder. Uh, Liam ended up being uh, working on the building at Leeds University and swore to himself, one day I'm going to come here and I'm going to study here. So he left himself a little note in the wall to say, Liam, one day you're going to study here, uh, as he was building the, the library at the university. And then that's what exactly what he did. Wonderful, Julie. Wonderful. Uh, you won't know this, but I put a notice up at St Paul's Manningham. My notice said, <laughs> it, it, is, it is forbidden to read this notice. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, well, the wonderful thing about uh, um, in churches is it's not just providing this absolutely essential food and bed, but you work with them, don't you, to get them into, into uh, their own accommodation and, like Liam, get them back on their feet. Yes, that was um, sort of clear from, you know, it was, it was great that we were um, helping them get a bed for the night and some food, which took them out of their immediate need and crisis. But it became apparent that we needed to work longer term with people. Yeah. To, the, uh, London have got this horrible, horrible but quite accurate account of, of, of the homeless society. And they call them stock rotation and flow. And it sounds like <laughs> like sounds like kind of beans, not be, not human beings, but the stock, are what you would call the, the the hardcore rough sleepers that have been out for years, mm. and possibly some of them don't want to come in. No, life's um, a lifestyle choice. It's a lifestyle choice. Yeah. Being traumatized, yeah. um, all sorts of uh, issues, mental health issues. Mm. Um, I don't like the term hard to reach, but sometimes, you know, it, it's just sort of very difficult to get people inside. Then you've got the rotation. So those are the people that would they would be homeless. You'd get them into accommodation. They'd make themselves homeless again. Um, they'd not been able to sustain the tenancies. That You know, they were, they were quite chaotic. Sometimes, but not all, um, were drink and drug um, users so that that would that's what they would call the rotation and then the flow the flow are those people that that are just for a, a short time homeless mm. whatever circumstances lead them onto the street and they you, with a little bit of help you know you can move them back into um being housed again but um hopefully then you know they, they get on and and live their best lives. Yeah. So it was kind of looking at what we did in the early days was look at those people that we we had a, a good success to be able to move on because the longer they became entrenched in that lifestyle, the more challenging it became to get them out of there. And I, I remember one night you came into St Mary's and um, which was um, on East Parade, and there was a gentleman there that he was. He'd been working all his life. He was suddenly made redundant. Um, he wasn't coping well. He and his wife split up. Uh, he came to us and he, he wasn't a drinker, wasn't a drugs user. And then we saw within the space of a couple of weeks his quite rapid decline because suddenly he'd got time on his hands. He did have a bit of money, but he'd got a lot of fair weather friends. 
um, and he he'd said, you know, no, I don't drink, I don't drink, but in a different kind of company and with time on his hands, he was suddenly drinking a lot and um, he, he sort of came to us one day falling down drunk. And we knew then that we needed to get him out of that lifestyle quickly because it would sort of um, draw him into that. So over the years, yeah, we've, we've worked with quite a lot of landlords to, to try and be able to uh, move people on. Yeah. Um, but then we started looking at what we could do further. Um, and a lot of that was to try and support the churches that we were working with um, and equip them to be able to support their communities. Because what would happen was guests would go to a particular church and found that they belong. You know, they, they found a sense of belonging there. So we started, I think it was, it was St. John's again at Great Horton. Um, they had done the winter shelter. They'd done our training. They felt more equipped to um, look to their community and support their community. So we started to support the church to support their community. And part of that was by making them a food offer. So about, about 2014, we just started getting lots of stuff, lots and lots of stuff. Um, donations, food donations. Food donations, clothing, yeah. um, all sorts of different things. Um, so we, we kind of moved from the back of my little white van into a tiny office. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was a tiny office. I think it was standing room for one person. Um, but we just kept getting donation after donation. So eventually uh, we moved to slightly bigger premises and, and that leads us to where we are now, where we've got a 6,000 square foot warehouse um, and the downstairs is given over to food. And what we do is we try and, um, well, we don't try, we intercept surplus food from around the city and then redistribute that to community groups and churches. So in and amongst that, we, we have um, a former guest that, that now works with us full time. He was sleeping in a, a tent last April time um, and now he's got, you know, he's got a place to live and he's got a job. We cannot, we can't do that with a lot of people, but um, where we can, we, you know, it's much better to um, get people feeling that they're valued and respected mm. and, and they belong. Uh, I know you you keep your light under a bushel, so to speak, but uh, you've in, uh, in churches has inspired other cities across uh, the United Kingdom, hasn't it? I mean, and you've done training with with church groups and others, encouraging them uh, to to step out in this way to serve their neighbour. Um, yes, we've been uh, at Peterborough. It was one of the churches that they'd heard about that we work that we were doing. Mm. Um, and we, we came down with, with yourself and um, we helped Peterborough uh, set up a, a winter night shelter. And I believe, you know, they've gone from strength to strength. Mm. Um, Halifax, uh, what, what we did was back in 2014, we had um, one of the vicars was quite, he'd been in insurance and he, he was quite um, concerned that we were keep um, putting people in beds on a night and and were we insured? So we approached housing. No, it was about, I think it was about 2012. The I've, I've, I've lost a couple of years, I think. <laughs> um, so we approached housing justice down, who worked down in London and said, look, this is what we do. Um, are we doing everything that we should do? You know, we do training. We don't blanket DBS, um, but we, you're never alone with the guests. We've got a manual. We've got a handbook. We've, you know... This is all that we do here. And that prompted Housing Justice then to look at um, a quality mark. So we've worked with Housing Justice since 2012 and they've developed a quality mark and we've been working with them on that. Um, so I think they've got about 160 churches, church groups that run winter projects. So it, it was great to be part of something bigger. Yeah, um, yeah. And wherever we've been... Um, talking about the work that we've been doing in other cities, they've they've adopted our model of a week at each church mm. because it it um, it just works. Um, 
the church owns the project so it's kind of an all rise event you know it's easier to to close brownies down for a week or you keep fit class for a week to support the homeless than it is to try and do every Tuesday night for instance um so yeah there's a there's a variety of um of interventions sadly a lot of them with covid last year um weren't able to operate um mm. just because getting so many people in into one room uh, wasn't practicable and a lot of our volunteers are sort of slightly older shall we say that um so a lot of winter shelters have not run this year so it's hard to say what's going to happen next year what's happened to in churches julie tell us with their covid so in churches um we didn't we weren't able to run we took advice from local government and um government nationally and and uh, housing justice so we didn't operate the winter shelters but we what we did was we purchased two pods from um amazing grace places and working with hope housing and discovery house that we put place the pods with them so at least it you know it was nothing like the usual hospitality hospitality that we have uh, but at least you know people did get a bed for the night if they needed it yeah um uh, what about the rough sleepers who couldn't get into the pods what happened to them so the the council took up the the government mantle of um everyone in so we were we, we didn't rest on our laurels we were feeding people that were staying in the bed and breakfast from march right that was um up to 60 people in bradford a night time so we'd, we'd provide them with uh, all the food and then one of the community groups and um the, the homeless outreach team and Simon on the streets would come and collect the food and, and distribute that out. So people were uh, people were inside that wanted to be inside. about the um you've had you had a food hub and um you were doing uh, i think there's a, there was a welfare hub you were running and also i think uh, well you had a cooking hub what happened to all of those and you have to explain what they are as well julie please so so the food hub is um the warehouse so we we collect surplus food from around the city um we did think that we were going to go into lockdown for a couple of weeks and we were thinking oh well a couple of weeks off this would be amazing but people still needed to be fed. So we took on the um, surplus food of the city of Bradford, really. <laughs> uh, lots of um, organisations, cafes, places like Salt's Mill were closing down and they, they were sending their food to us. So we were just busier than ever. In fact, we, we ended up taking on two extra staff so that we could redistribute the food across the city. Uh, the council also commissioned us to provide food to food banks so we were providing food to 21 food banks as well um, and that continues until July this year so as a team you know the team's just been absolutely phenomenal that we've redistributed food for about 880,000 meals at the last count and that, I think that was towards the end of December Lots of other groups have, have taken up the mantle as well. And in fact, the first three months was, you know, usually the faith groups are first to lead the way in volunteering. Yeah, but it's it wonderful. Su- it was such an all-rise event. So people that were furloughed, um, people that, you know, sort of were having to stay home and isolate, realised what a massive need there was and and jumped into action. So I think there's about another 60 food groups started across the city. The VCS really came into its own it was just phenomenal you what's know, the vcs the voluntary sector yeah so all the voluntary sector groups the faith groups really proved what um a fantastic role they they served to their communities it was just, it was just very heartening i mean obviously you know it's a, it was a serious situation 
and continues to be so. But the fact that everybody rallied round and helped was um, What are your plans for post-lockdown? Post-lockdown, we've already started doing cookery classes at a safe distance. Uh, we've been doing a lot of, rather than just handing out food parcels and free food, we've doing, been doing some challenge boxes to try and get young people interested in the work um, and, and, and cooking. Last year, we did something called 10 Recipes to Save Your Life. And that was um, trying to sort of support former homeless guests into cookery classes and cooking for themselves. So we've got quite a lot of projects that we're still doing. There's been another, one of the churches has set up another food hub like ours. So I think what's what's become very apparent is that um, feeding people is a massive issue and that lots of groups want to do that. So I don't think the, the fact that food poverty has been highlighted is a bad thing. I think what we've the challenge ahead is we have so many people now that are dependent on these free food parcels. Yeah. So we, we as um, an organisation have been looking ahead to how we can support people not to become dependent. Hasn't um, Jamie's Ministry of Food been involved as well? So three years ago, Soraya, who was working for Jamie's Ministry of Food, they'd lost the funding and we didn't have any money <laughs> but it just seemed that it just seemed a no-brainer that um Saraya had been working for past eight years teaching people how to cook and at a time when other organizations that that supported food poverty were going out of business themselves it just it's like whoa we can't we can't let this happen so Saraya came on board and we sort of extended our offer to the churches and community groups by offering um, cookery classes. And we thought it would go down okay. We concentrated on the, the five key areas of deprivation in Bradford and made them a food offer. So here you are, we'll support you with a mini market and some food and some cookery classes if you need it. Uh, what we didn't envisage was was how well that would be received. So, you know, we've, we've been doing cookery classes and... Um, food challenges for past few years alongside Jamie's Ministry of Food. We talk about numbers and statistics and we can lose sight of individuals and how they can touch our lives. Julie, you yourself, how, how have you personally been affected by all of this uh, work very much at, at the, uh, the grassroots, at the sharp end of social justice, at the churches, at the gospel, really? How has it affected you, your faith and, and uh, the way you see things? I think I'm lucky that I've, I've had such a strong faith because I think that's carried me through a lot of the tough times. I do feel it's our calling, it's our responsibility to be able to support people. And I think that with through in churches, so many people have been given that opportunity. I think what you say is so many people want to do something, but they just don't know how to respond. Yeah. So, so it's been heartening that um, in churches has been a vehicle where so many people could respond. They could get involved at whatever level they felt capable of. So some people just wanted to cook. They'd be happy to turn up. And cook seven nights a week and they would cook their favorite meal or you know that they, they enjoyed the hospitality of it some people didn't want to interact with with the people that were homeless but they could do their bit children have been wanting to get involved so a lot of the schools you know they'll, they'll make little um care packages for the guests and, and put them on the pillows and they'll go in and help set the beds up and i think it's just provided people with um a snapshot of what 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 life is like when you you have very little. I'm never a fan of um, you're only two steps away from two or two paychecks away of from being homeless because I don't think that's correct because it, it's all about our networks. You know, my son would never be homeless because he'd be able to come home to me. But I think what's becoming apparent is that people's needs have changed and the complexity of their crisis has changed and what in churches has been able to do is show the churches the complex needs that people have had and churches have been able then to respond to how they meet that need so the way things have worked out is a lot of churches now have um they have extra support in there they have support workers advice workers going in so they can they can meet their community where they're at and support individuals 
and there's some just some wonderful stories of, of hope and redemption that have come out of that and churches rising up to meet the needs of the people that have been working with um, and people sort of getting invested in the church coming in to volunteer making new friends it's just yeah it's I don't know. I don't know half of some of the stories until, you know, still somebody said, oh, this person used to be a guest at our shelter and now they're doing this for us. And so we never know. No. What relationships have been formed, but God does. Yeah. Um, (laughs) He's he's weaving the tapestry of our lives together. And it's such a beautiful tapestry, how we can touch one another. Um, Are there young man we met that night who was going to commit suicide who came in? And yes, yeah. yeah, it's it's really is saving lives, restoring families, giving hope. Um, it's isn't it? It's challenging. It's channeling love, isn't it? I think that's where you know the intersection happens, isn't it? Where sometimes people have sat down and said, "Why are you doing this? You know, you're not getting paid to do this." For the yeah, you know, they've challenged the volunteers on on why they're doing it, and you know they they just see that it's through God's love that that people are doing that. We ought to say people have also found faith, haven't they? In the community, yes, yeah, yeah, people have come to Christ because of yeah, this. absolutely, yeah. yeah, wonderful, being baptized and and so on. It's lovely. There've been some great testimonies. I'm looking at uh, Robert Kelly, who's this, um, the Association for British uh, for uh, British Credit Unions, saying it's one of the most interesting and humane things to come across my desk in a long time. It's great how many lives have been touched and changed because of all of this. I know you changed my life, Julie. Definitely. <laughs> uh, I want you to say about um, beanies. The, the, the yeah, your beanie project, yeah. Are, the, are some of the volunteers knitting them? Oh, yes. Okay. We get, we, we get some amazing beanie hats knitted for us. Um, the idea was my daughter bought some Tom's shoes and she said, oh, man, this is great. Look, I get a pair of shoes and, and Tom's donate a pair of shoes to somebody. And I thought, oh. We could do that with beanie hats. You know, we knit a beanie, knit two, and we give one to somebody that's homeless. So we kind of expand. I think it was 2012. I thought, oh, homeless beanies, right, let's get that going. Um, we looked across the pond, and they were already doing that in America. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so I, I got in touch with the, the chap in America and said, oh, look, we've just had this idea, and we, th- we thought we'd make a um, project out of it you know what can we do anything together um so we he said oh this is fantastic it turned out he was a christian he he sent us his logo he said yep you can have free rain and and use this so uh, yeah homeless beanies was launched and gosh we have we've had beanies from all across the world (laughs) Uh, it started on twitter we have a, a sponsor called michael who we met on twitter several years ago um he spots us with tea we have um, a coffee sponsor as well, so we do homeless coffee beanies. And the idea is that any money that we make from that actually goes back in to support the people that we support. So that, that money's ring fenced. So it could be we get them a starter pack for a new house. It could be that they need a birth certificate to be able to, to show some ID. It, it could be they need some new boots or a new outfit to go for um, an interview. So that's, that's kind of a little project that we've got running alongside the work that we do. I always keep thinking, you know, we need to sort of give it more traction. But we are blessed with beanies. <laughs> Great. I always remember you telling me that story of um, a lady that was knitting in one of the homes that you were, and somebody kept unwinding it because she just kept knitting and knitting and knitting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I often think of uh, I often think of you when, when the beanies arrived. Mm. Just think of, think of the wonderful people knitting. And again, it's that, you know, we want to help. What can we do? Um, I can help you with what I've got. And, you know, that's time and being able to knit. So we've got knit and natter groups that send us stuff. Um, it, it's just amazing. Some wonderful hats. The lovely thing about knitting is you can pray while you knit and you can pray Absolutely. for whoever wears this beanie, Lord. May you be a blessing on their head and on their lives. Can't you? Well, well, that's the thing as well. You know, sometimes they come with little notes saying that being praying for the person that wears this hat sometimes you know they just come in with little stories of hope so it, it's it's just wonderful you know we're, we're so thankful a lady rang me a couple of days ago and said did you get my hats um and she sent us six 
perfectly knit hats and it was just like yeah it's it's just so good I mean we have got a lot of hats so we we do give them away to other shelters and and yeah when I used to go down to London I'd take a bag of beanies to the homeless shelters down there as well it's so, so lovely Julie I mean the news is full relentlessly bad news but there's so many wonderful things going on our, our communities have been supported and held together by love with so many volunteers doing so much. And so much is Absolutely. coming out of the church. I used to think if the church is sort of decided they weren't going to bother anymore, that's never going to happen. But, you know, you can imagine it. Everything had to collapse. I, mean, I always, I always <laughs> smile to myself when, when, you know, sort of people ch- sort of say, oh, why aren't the churches doing anything? And, you know, I'm able to respond with, well, actually they are. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And interestingly as well, through Housing Justice, um, they do capture a lot of the work that the church does. So, you know, it's it's good to know how many people have been housed yeah. over winter and how many volunteers there are and how many meals have been served. So, you know, the the church is, is alive and thriving, yeah. albeit in different places now. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they're moved into nightclubs and... Um, all sorts of yeah, it's evolving. Uh, there's things. a lovely, of course, in churches doesn't take in uh, younger people uh, under a certain age, does it? You don't take in uh, children. No, or, or young. no, eighteen and under. Yeah. And- it's the uh, role of social services to work. But with also them. the churches have been involved in that, in people taking in younger people, haven't they? Night Stop was a lovely uh, church project. Yes, Night Stop's still going. Um, <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's all it's all wonderfully regulated. And the thing is, not only are the churches doing this, they're doing it in partnership. I mean, the police were great. And, uh, you know, lots of good people from the social services. I remember some of the volunteers were from the police, were they, Julie? Absol- yeah, we've you know, had... On their night off. Absolutely. We, we've had um, ward councillors. We've had a lot yeah. of um, PCSOs and police wanting, you know, the, and they see a difference especially the police with one lady that volunteered for several years she doesn't come in with her police hat on but what she says is it's so wonderful to see them you know instead of sort of having to uh, police their behavior they're able to see them as humans yeah and and see you know see the the nice side of them and very often support workers have come in and said oh my goodness that they're so different in this environment. And, and I think that's because for the most part, they're not judged that they're coming in. We're, we're looking at, you know, sort of going to bed for the night, a warm meal and companionship. Um, a lot of people have felt lonely and isolated and they've actually been looking forward to coming into in churches and, and the night shelters to be able to um, just get that unconditional love. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Julie, you need to know that you're another one on my list for an MBE or whatever. <laughs> no, or, uh, I just... no, I'm all right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, people like you are keeping the country going. Lots and lots of uh, good people uh, in all the statutory services and the voluntary services. It's just absolutely wonderful. It does one's heart good. And uh, so thank you, Julie, so much for all you do. And for sharing with us now. And before you go, what particular things can we pray for for you and in churches and your team? I think especially um, as we sort of ride through the next few months of uncertainty, it's what will become of the night shelters. I I can't see us going back to that same model per se. Um, But I think the challenge of homelessness is is still there, if not even more so Uh, once sort of all the extra support um, for people sort of starts to diminish. We, we, we don't know, until we see the whites of their eyes, we don't know what state people are going to be in emotionally. No. Um, then, you know, we're already hearing reports of people's mental health mm. um, declining, people not being able to feed the families. Um, you mentioned uh, one of the work, some of the work that we're doing as well is We've um, set up something called Food Savers. So we're, we're looking at giving people um, food that they can afford, fresh, healthy uh, food, but we're charging £6 for them. And um, a pound of that then will go into the credit union. So the idea is then to get people paying what they can afford towards their food, but that is empowering them that is giving them um, 
choice, giving them dignity. I mean, one lady said, I feel like I can choose my own food now and feed my family this week, and it means so much to me. So, you know, as we come through this crisis, what we're doing is we're looking for longer-term solutions um, to be able to stop, you know, people going hungry but not create a dependency on food banks. So a lot of prayer is uh, welcomed around that side of things as well. And just that, you know, we've got a team that's strong and healthy and able to support others. Mm. Just so people understand, the credit union, that means those people are actually putting in money to save, isn't it? It's, a, it's a, like a savings thing. Yes. it's. I mean, it's only a pound a week. But when one gentleman said, wow, I've saved eight pound. That's the most I've ever saved. Yeah. Most I've ever saved in my life. Uh, Judy, thank you for being with us. Uh, for yeah, very welcome. For bringing these issues, and um, you are close to my heart and my prayers, uh, certainly. And I hope uh, our listeners will take up these challenges to pray for these uh, dear people who are um, rough sleepers um, and uh, and all their needs. And maybe knit a beanie. Now, if they want to get in touch with you, what are your contact details? Uh, we can be found on inchurches.co.uk. Or uh, telephone 07833 Could you give um, that again, Julie? It's a bit quick. The number. Is it quick? Yeah. 07833 Yeah. Um, and, and our it, website is Yeah. And if you want to knit a beanie, uh, they can find out where to, to send the beanie. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, maybe... but also, if there's any any churches that you know would like to look at some of the work that we're doing and you know want us to talk to you about it, we'd be happy to do that as well. Uh, rough sleepers is an issue across the country. It's not just in cities that maybe have got some bigger challenges than others, like Bramford. Everywhere you'll find rough sleepers. Here in Cambridge, it's an issue. Everywhere it's an issue. And uh, if you look, you can be involved. Of course, we should all be praying and we should all care. Um, remember that lovely verse from Hebrews that it, it's in hospitalities. Sometimes we've entertained strangers and they have been angels to us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You are uh, not a stranger, but one of the angels in my life, Julie. And thank <laughs> you. Yes, you are. Um, we, we could have uh, talked a lot about um, how our lives have intersected and, and the and yeah how you've touched my life so deeply thank you for all you do may the lord bless and keep you may he cause his face to shine upon you may he grant you his peace and protection and all those you serve and care and love we commend to to uh, you to his great mercies and love julie and in churches god bless and I've always wanted to say this. Thank you, Padre. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, uh, yes, <laughs> bless you. Bless you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Padre's Hour. I do encourage you to send in your stories, especially if you are a chaplain or a member of the chaplain's team. We'd love to have you on our radio and share the support you give and to pray for you and with you. You can email us at info at radiomariaengland.uk and please do join me again next week for Padre's Hour. God bless.